Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Uh, Go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Um, We are here and uh, we've been going through this series, Divine Rescue, and this will be the last sermon. This will close our series in Divine Rescue as we prepare for Revelation, our study in Revelation to begin next Sunday. So as uh, as we're going to, we've considered now in in the past, uh, Israel, their exodus from Egypt, through the wilderness, their wanderings. Uh, In this series, we've seen the people struggle in a united kingdom. With David, they've seen the people go back and forth through uh, Elijah and Elisha. Their suffering, their idolatry, judgment, all these different things, the, the wanderings. We've seen the, the United Kingdom, the divided kingdom through Hezekiah, and all these different moments of divine rescue. And we fast forward to the New Testament. And last week we looked at, uh, at an account of divine rescue through the life of Peter. So it is only fitting that if we're going to do a series on divine rescue that we have to include a look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Now this faces us already with the, with the question, what account of divine rescue can you pick from the life of Paul? He has all sorts of encounters of God's sovereign grace rescuing him, and it was hard just to pick one, but we're here and we're going to look at this account of Paul and his his survival and shipwreck, landing on the island of Malta. The first half of the book of Acts, like we've seen already, uh, is focused much, focuses much on Peter's life and the gospel spreading through Peter. The second half of the book of Acts focuses primarily on the life of Paul and the gospel spreading to the Gentiles and the unreached peoples. So we, face, we come uh, to this account of Paul, and he's traveling. Uh, follow along with me. In your copy of the scriptures, Acts 28, we're going to look at the first 10 verses. Acts 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time, and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Paul visited him and prayed and put his hands on him and healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had, their, who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, 
And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. This is the word of the Lord. This is our text for study and consideration this morning. Now from this passage, we are going to see five effects of God's sovereign grace in our lives. This is true for the life of Paul, and if we are in Christ, God's grace working in us, we should see the same effects, the same fruit of God's grace working in our lives. Number one, the first effect of God's sovereign grace. By God's sovereign grace, we are held by the Lord. Held by the Lord. This is looking back at verses one and two. Now, so we've seen here, they, they come safely through on this land of, island of Malta, but how did Paul get here? What on earth has taken place that they wash up on this shore? We have to look back just a little bit. We have to consider uh, what Paul has experienced up to this point. Uh, Paul has just finished his third missionary journey, and he makes a travel back to Jerusalem. Paul cares about the believers in Jerusalem there, and he had, it had been some time since he had visited the city, so he makes a journey to go. And as he is in Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, and some of his fellow countrymen, some of his, his fellow uh, Jewish people there, they accuse, falsely accuse Paul, they start a flash mob and threaten to kill him in the middle of the temple. Some Roman guards, they rush in to save the day. They rescue Paul, and they save him by arresting him. They, they take him under uh, captivity, and he's imprisoned by Roman officials. And uh, co- over the course of about two years, he, is, he has several mock trials from both Roman officials and King Herod Agrippa. And after this point, Paul says, all right, I've had enough. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. Caesar must judge my case. And he is sent off from Jerusalem, and he makes this this journey by ship. He's going to Rome. That's his plan. On his way to Rome, he faces a terrible storm, which accounts for a tragic shipwreck. Here's how Luke, the narrator and author of the book of Acts, records this storm. If you're in Acts 28, look over maybe just a page. You may have to turn one page back to Acts 27, and look at what happens here in verses 13 to 20. Luke records this account. Now, when the south winds blew gently, supposing that the, the sailors obtained their purpose to sail on, they weighed anchor, sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind, called the Northeaster, struck down from the land. When the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small island called Kata. We managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that it would run aground on Certus, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. And since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. They're totally fearful for their lives. So this leads us, this is our first point, we're held by the Lord. All of this that Paul encounters, and look what Luke says back in Acts 28, after we were brought safely through. The Lord sovereignly, graciously held them together 
this people and brought them safely to a land, island of Malta. This word here is used several times. This word brought safely through is used several times in Acts 27 and 28. Diosozo is the Greek word. It means saved or preserved. And this is exactly what we see here. The Lord held them and brought them safely to this land, this island of Malta. There's an image that comes up on the screen. Look at this. This is the island that they landed on. And if you follow that red line, you see there's a little, little cove, a little inlet. And that is called, now it's called St. Paul's Bay, uh, believe it or not, because that's where Paul landed in this, in this shipwreck. The island, well, you see this full, this full picture here. The island is about 18 miles long and 8 miles wide. Not very big. And this is where Paul and the company, they landed at what is uh, St. Paul's Bay. There's a few more images here. This is St. Paul's Bay, more in the, this is present day. If you were to go and land here, this, they've turned into, not quite what Paul would have experienced, but this is the area. This is the region where he crash landed with his crew there on Malta. Now, there's going to be a big, a, a big map picture that comes in. I want you to see this. When they sail out from Crete, they're, they try and go south, they're going to wrap around, they want to wrap around and go to Rome, but this storm totally takes them and blows them all off course. Now compare, you can barely see the little island of Malta in the middle of the, the Adriatic Sea there. Instead of, instead of them traveling uh, south through Fair Havens, the violent storm threw the ship off course. The entire crew, except for Paul, were expecting to be lost at sea and left to die. But the Lord carried the vessel across the storm directly to Malta in this remarkable act of providence and power. And something that is, is interesting, uh, Malta was originally uh, settled by the Phoenician people. It was taken over by the Romans uh, several uh, years before Paul would ever get there. But the word Malta means, in the Phoenician language, it means refuge. And quite literally, this island becomes a refuge provided by God for Paul and the crew of the ship. They're held by the Lord. They were brought safely through the storm to this exact island, to this exact point in time, all by God's sovereign will and grace. Now look at verse 2 with me. The native people, the islanders, they show us unusual kindness. Now, just picture here that this word kindness, it means uh, it literally a, a, love, a friendly loving, toward, a, a love towards human beings. Uh, extraordinary kindness. Uh, this, when the Bible here uses this, Luke uses this word native people, he's simply referring to people that don't speak Greek. There's, most likely they spoke the Phoenician dialect, but some spoke Greek here, as, as we'll see later on. But here's what I want us to notice. This unusual kindness that, that the islanders show Paul and his crew. Just, just picture this. This is out of the way, costly, generous kindness. Strangers just wash up on your beach, and here they are, here come these islanders, and what are they going to do? They show kindness and compassion to them, as fellow humans. Well, who causes this kind of extraordinary kindness to be shown to Paul? And there's 275 other crew members on the ship. We'll, uh, we'll get, it's Acts 27, verse 37. 276 people aboard the ship. Well, why did they do that? Because God sovereignly, graciously were holding them together, held them and preserved them by their hand. They provide a fire to comfort them. It's cold. They're obviously cold from the rain and the storm, and 
God promised to preserve them. There would be no loss of life, only destruction of the ship. And so here God is simply keeping true to his word. I've preserved you. I will hold you through this storm, this suffering. He physically saves them. He provides the, the comfort of the fire and the welcome of the islanders. And this is produced only by the sovereign grace of God. And as the Lord promised, everyone, everyone on the ship would, be, would survive. No life would be lost. God is simply keeping his word. So throughout, think about this, throughout all of Paul's life, Paul experienced the kindness of the Lord. Paul would write about this kind of kindness to Titus, describing God's salvation. Titus 3, verse 3 to 6, Paul just describes this kind of kindness. We, uh, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. If that sounds like our world today, that's because it is. This is the effect of sin in our lives, and if we're honest, this is also the effect of sin in our hearts. Paul just continues, Titus 3, verse 4, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. The kindness of God sends Jesus Christ. God saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, so Paul is no stranger to this kind of kindness. And in fact, he's writing to Titus to say, hey, this is how kind God has been to us, therefore you ought to be kind to one another. God is simply, this is simply here to illustrate for us, God is faithful to preserve, to hold his people forever. Now that doesn't mean we'll never experience trials. They just had a shipwreck. We're going to experience trials. Paul experienced trials but the Lord carried him and sustained him. The same is true for us today. God holds us up during trials with his love and his grace. God's sovereign grace is one of the greatest motivators for world missions. It's part of the reason why Paul is traveling in the first place. Take the good news of God's grace to all peoples. Think about this, when this rock-solid truth hits us that God is absolutely sovereign and his grace holds us, he preserves us forever, this transforms us to be people who go, who take the gospel to all peoples. This is the same truth that shaped John G. Patton, missionary to a different island, several hundred years after this account, missionary to the island of the New Hebrides. And there, that island, they weren't so welcoming they weren't so kind. Uh, the island that John Patton went to, the islanders there practiced cannibalism. John G. Patton, when he was surrounded, one of these accounts, he was surrounded by islanders who wanted to kill him and eat him. He was surrounded, and yet he was perfectly protected and preserved by God's grace. And so John Patton, he just he summarized it in his journal this way: "My peace came back to me like a wave from God. I realized that I was immortal till my master's work with me." was done. John Patton said, he said, okay, God, if, if you have me here to bring the gospel to these people, I'm preserved. If this is my time, you've appointed, if this is my appointed time to die, then this is my appointed time. But if you still have work for me, then you can't touch me. That's Paul's same attitude and mindset here. Okay, God, you want me to go bring the gospel to the people of Rome? Testify to Caesar? I'll go. I'm going to be brought safely through or I'm going to die, but I trust the Lord. And, and God is sovereign and his grace is sufficient. 
So we, we see first that we're, and by God's sovereign grace, we are held by the Lord. Second, effect of God's sovereign grace, we are empowered to help one another. We're empowered to help one another. This is the first half of verse 3. Paul, he's gathering a bundle of sticks to put them on the fire. Think, let's put ourselves in Paul's, in Paul's uh, place here for a moment. This storm that he encountered, we didn't read it, it's in Acts 27, lasted for 14 days. The people didn't eat, they're storm-tossed, no sun, no stars, 14 days storm, a shipwreck, but Paul doesn't sit back and wait for other people to step in, and, and Paul could have. The Lord had given him a vision, an angel, a messenger said, uh, you're going to be okay. So Paul said, see, I told you so, we're Okay. You want to do fire? You want to do sticks? Who's on uh, bonfire duty? He doesn't do that, though. He steps in. He serves. He serves his fellow prisoners. He serves the Roman soldiers by tending to the bonfire. Paul's attitude here is one of humility. And isn't that what God's grace ought to produce in us? When I realize how much I have been forgiven, how gracious God has been to me by saving me in every way that he has blessed me, and I don't deserve it, that produces in us humility. And that's, uh, that's Peter. Uh, in his first letter, Peter describes humility as just simply being a steward of, God, steward of God's grace. We serve one another. And Paul's demonstrating that same truth here. I have received grace. And because I have received grace, I give and show grace, especially through our actions. And notice here, Paul didn't quit. So I have a question. What does it take for us, what does it take for you to get pushed off track? What does it take for us to get disengaged from serving or from in, being in fellowship together as a church, being members of one body? This example of Paul here serving is an, an, an example for us. If God's grace is working in us, we can actually press into fellowship through serving instead of disengaging when trials and pressures come, the, the temptation to quit. That's our second point already. That's a quick one. We're empowered to help one another. Thirdly, we have hope in all circumstances. Hope in all circumstances. This is the second half of verse 3 to verse 6. He put, Paul puts the sticks on the fire. The viper comes out because of the heat, fastens on his hand. The native people, they see the creature hanging. They judge him. He must be a murderer. So understand this. Notice what happens here. The very moment that Paul is serving, the very moment that Paul is helping, shining, letting the light of Christ shine through his, his humble service, here comes this viper. Fangs out, ready, and latches onto his hand. Clamps down, potentially deadly bite. This is kind of how it goes. Someone comes to faith in Christ, maybe family, get plugged into church, they're serving, they're here, they're faithful, and it just seems like one trial after trial after trial hits, like a wave, wave, trial, testing, difficulty. Paul's no stranger to that. Shipwreck, storm, viper bite, really, God? Really? Really? What are you doing here? Understand this, God is absolutely sovereign over the, vi the bite of the viper. Totally sovereign. God planned it, God purposed it, meant it for good. 
God is our shield and our refuge. We can trust the Lord always. It's like what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. I'm memorizing this one. I love this verse. Trust in the Lord forever. Why? God's an everlasting rock. You can't shake him. That's, that's Paul's position here. Okay, viper's coming. All right, God, I trust you. Paul, he's calm. Whether he lives or dies, he's confident in God's grace and his good hand. So what about you and me? This is where I want this kind of solid faith and trust in God. I want that for you as the church. The good news is that we don't produce this kind of faith on our own. It's, it's the fruit of God's sovereign grace working in our hearts. This reliable, resolved faith in the Lord comes from God's grace working in me, in us. Regardless of, we can have hope regardless of our circumstances. Paul knew that. He wrote to the Romans a little bit earlier on. Romans 14, for none of us lives to himself, for none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul is simply taking that same truth and applying it to us. Applying it to this viper bite, and we can see that example. Now, look at the islanders. Look at, look at their reaction here. This viper comes out, and the first thing they say to one another is, hey, no doubt this guy, he's a murderer. He must be the worst of the worst. Though he's escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Now, first, they accuse Paul. They judge him. They look at his circumstances and pronounce swift judgment. He must be a murderer. Now, think about this. Uh, how often is it, when we're sharing the gospel, maybe you hear this, well, at least I've never killed anybody. Think of th this truth about the, the, the value of life. This is by God's design. We know this in our hearts and in our conscience. We're made in God's image. Every single life has value. So when these islanders are accusing Paul, he must be the worst, the worst. Look at all this suffering that's happening to him. He must be terrible. It's interesting that they apply. He must be a murderer. He must be a life taker. We're all made in God's image. God's laws written on our hearts. We know deep down that murder is the willful taking of another human life. No matter what age, stage, or quality of life. At the core, it's murder. So they accuse him of this. They're not... They're wrong in their judgment. They, they use this word justice. But they're not talking about the justice of God. They're talking about the, the Roman god, D.K. They think of justice. They must, must be out to get him. But here comes another act of divine rescue by God. Look at what Paul does. He shook off the creature into his hand. He wiggles his hand around. Done. Off it goes. Cooks in the fire. All done. Suffered no harm. Shakes off the serpent, returns to work. The rest of the people are like, whoa. The bite, the viper, he must be a god. I know what the answer is. Let's worship him. False, wrong. They're wrong on both accounts. Paul's not a murderer in the sense that they're talking about. Yeah, Paul did take the life of Stephen before his conversion. But that was approved by the Jewish government. Not like the murder they're talking about here. And Paul's certainly not a god. So who, who is this Paul? Who is Paul really? Well, he's a forgiven sinner sent by the Lord Jesus Christ to declare the good news of Jesus to all peoples. That's who Paul is. 
They're waiting for Paul to collapse. They're waiting, watching, and he doesn't die. They change their story. They're thinking he must be a god. Nope. Acts 14, people tried to worship Paul in Lystra, and he rejected that. He, he stopped them from worshiping him. So we know Paul didn't take the worship for himself. Paul wants our worship to go to Jesus Christ alone. God alone is worthy of our worship. So there's a purpose for this viper bite. Yeah, there's a purpose for it. This bite by the viper and Paul's miraculous survival actually served to validate Paul as a genuine messenger of God, and it validates Paul's message. The message he must bring is true. I need to listen to what Paul has to say. The crew in Acts 27, the ship, they didn't listen to Paul. They kept ignoring him. He said, hey, guys, the storm, the clouds, I'm a seasoned traveler. I don't think this is going to work out so good. And the, the Julius, the centurion, says, no, 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 we ain't listening to Paul. We're going to listen to the the captain of the ship, and they go and they get caught in this storm. Now they're going to try and listen to Paul. Who is this guy? He survives a viper bite and lives. There must be something about something different about this man. It validates Paul's message as a trustworthy and true message of divine rescue in Jesus Christ. The islanders, they're caught in a confusion. They're caught in extremism. Is he, is he murder? Is he God? Reject that. Let's not be caught in extremism. Paul sent as a messenger to tell the nations about Jesus Christ. He's forgiven by God. Paul trusts God's providence and his promises. At several points along his journey, the Lord promised that Paul would stand before Caesar and testify about Jesus Christ. If you're still there in Acts 27, you can just look over one more page. I want you to see this in Acts 27. Acts 27, look at verse 21. Picking up right where we, left, we last left off here. They, remember, they're all there. There's no hope. They're afraid they're going to die at sea. Paul stands up, verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, see, you should have listened to me, have not set sail from Crete, incurred this injury and loss, yet now I urge you, take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong, whom I worship. He said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. What does that mean? Paul means, that means Paul was praying and praying for the, the lives and souls of those men. So he continues, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. He's totally, totally confident in God's providence, his grace. And this is why we can have hope in all circumstances. This is why Paul is, has absolute confidence and hope when he's, getting, when he's bit, bitten by this viper. He knows that God has already promised and said that I have to bear witness in Rome. Okay, so God, I trust you. I don't know how this, all this is going to work out, but I trust you. God, Paul was confident in God and what he had promised him. And that's why he can cast the snake off into the fire. God's grace works in us to have hope in all circumstances. And fourthly, God's grace works in us. We are emboldened to speak with honesty. This is another reason why this, this viper bite is so pivotal in this account. 
Because through this, bite, this viper bite, Paul is given the opportunity to minister. Now, news of Paul's miraculous survival no doubt would have spread through the island. And now, it's, we see this in verse 7, in the neighborhood, they're in the area of a place where the lands belong to the chief man of the island named Publius. This uh, chief man of the island is so interesting uh, in the Greek. It really refers to the, the uh, Roman governor. And that's who Publius was. He was a Roman appointed governor of the island. This was kind of like a vacation home for the Romans, this little island. The, the people would go, especially soldiers would go uh, after a battle. They would be refreshed here. So here's Publius. He's a popular man. He's generous, and he says uh, he receives us and entertains us hospitably for three whole days. Now, news of Paul's survival no doubt spread through the island. We meet here Publius. He's the governor, and he shows him kindness. Who caused that to happen? God's sovereign grace. Three days, he spends time with them. And over the course of time, here Publius mentions, hey, you know, my dad, he's not feeling so good. Likely, this illness was caused by a, a germ in the goat milk of the goats on the island of Malta. They would produce this kind of sickness. And because they didn't have any way to cure uh, this particular uh, infection from the goat's milk, the, the fever and dysentery would recur. It would, you could never get rid of it. You could have seasons of, I feel better, but I don't feel good. And there was a cyclical, cyclical uh, illness that, that, that he experienced. So, Paul is here, and he's granted this amazing opportunity. He gets to visit him, pray with him, and lay his hands, and God heals him. It's amazing. What do you think Paul prayed during his little visit there with Publius and with his dad? Well, for one, he would have said, I mean, throughout the whole book of Acts, we know this is absolutely true of Paul's life. His whole life was spent preaching the gospel, devoted to it, wherever he had opportunity. We know God cares about the least of these. Jesus taught that during his own ministry. What do you think Paul would say or pray? Well, I think I know what Paul would say. Uh, I'm not just going to make it up, though. It's actually from 1 Timothy 1. I'm going to use Paul's own words. What do I think Paul would say in this uh, encounter with Publius or with his father? Uh, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. I think... Him, I thank God who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. I'm here by God, simply appointed me as a messenger. Though, look at verse 13, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul's going to say, there's nothing good about me, but there's everything good about Jesus Christ. That's why I'm here. So he'd probably say something like verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, the foremost, the, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. That's what Paul would say. Say, I'm a sinner, but the reason why I'm here is God has sovereignly sent me here. I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ. And I'm absolutely a sinner, and so are you, and so am I. 
but I have hope. I have grace and forgiveness to offer, not on my own, but through Jesus Christ. And how do you receive it? You must believe in him. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ and you'll be given eternal life. That's what he's gonna say. So that's why I say the point. He's emboldened to speak with honesty. This, think about this, this snake bite that Paul experiences, the pain of it, the trial of it, actually puts him in a position now where through Publius he can minister. And not just through Publius or his father, but by this point, the rest of the island, people come to be healed. I have a question. Do you have any snake bites? I'm not talking about actual snake bites. But Paul, he's bitten by this viper, and whether it's just a fact of fallen sinful nature, or it's a deliberate attack by Satan to derail God's plan, which... Newsflash, that ain't going to work. But here's the trial. Paul's bitten, and from it flows this opportunity for ministry to speak the truth in love. And God is absolutely at the center of all of it. So do you have any snake bites? The very trial or suffering that you're experiencing, or have experienced that you would say, there's no way God could use this for good. And he actually has purposed it for you to be a messenger Speak the truth in love. An opportunity for ministry. The ver- that doesn't belittle our pain. The snake bite, I'm sure it hurt. Real pain, real suffering, real trial. It doesn't minimize it. That doesn't dismiss it. But by God's sovereign grace, actually gives purpose to our trial and our suffering. Our snake bites. God has purposed it for his glory and your good and our good. We've all experienced suffering. But only God and his sovereign grace can take our pain and our suffering and turn it for good. And so Paul, he's, he's able to minister well to those who are suffering. And the same is true for us if we've received grace. God works his grace in us to turn us into wells of overflowing grace to those around us. God meets us in our suffering. He loves us. He suffered with us. Jesus suffered on the cross at the hands of sinful men, and God turned it for good, meant it for our good. And the same is true for us. God's grace carries us and puts us in a position to speak honestly. Paul's able to speak the truth in love, and he does so for Publius Father during the visit and among the sick on the island. And God's grace works in us to speak with honesty. Honesty about sin, suffering, and hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. And fifthly now, God's grace gives us boldness to speak honestly. And fifth, we can walk honorably among all. Verse 10, they honored us greatly. Literally, they honored us with many honors. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Paul and his, uh, he was honored by the islanders. Paul and the crew, they're, by the way, they're on the island for three months. You see that in verse 11. They're there, they're stuck there for the winter. No ships could reach their island or really anywhere in the sea due to the severity of the, the winter season. So they're, they're stuck there on the island for three months. They're living there, they're ministering there, they're serving. And here comes, all right, another ship. They're able to be, uh, secure some transport. Paul's going to get to Rome. 
But before they leave, the people of the island bless Paul and honor him with many honors. Now here's what I find so remarkable about this statement. Most of the island are, they're non-believers. They've never heard of Jesus. And granted, you know, Paul's there for three months and probably some became believers. There's no record of it like Luke does with other accounts. Whether, they're believe, whether they're or not there's believers, it's, ev- it's evident that Paul lived honorably during his stay on the island. The people were thankful for him and generously provided his supplies for the rest of the journey. Now, what about you and me? Now, Jesus is absolutely clear. He told us, told his followers, Matthew 10, that you will be hated by all for my namesake. So when I say this here, we're honorable. Be able to walk honorably among all. That's not to say that we're never going to experience any suffering, any persecution for Christ. It's not true. The essential truth is that while people can and will hate us for Christ, they must not ever have a reason to despise us for our conduct or our character. We are a living testimony for Jesus Christ. As God's grace works in us, we're to bear the fruits of righteousness. So what does this mean? Well, if you're an employee, be the best godly employee you can be. If you're a parent, be the best, most God-honoring, Christ-exalting parent, grandparent, student, worker that God has called you to be. God gives us the grace to walk honorably among all. I mean, Peter even... Peter says that later in his letter, let your conduct among the Gentiles be honorable. And that's what God's grace causes in us. That whether people revile us for our message, we can't control that. But we absolutely can walk with honor and integrity in whatever situation we're in. Now I have a practical example of this where I got it wrong. Okay, And I have no problem sharing that. Uh, I, this last point, walking honorably. Uh, Amanda and I went to Costco not too long ago. And there's just too many people. If you're at the Costco on Hall Road, let me know that you're there and I'll go a different time. <laughs> so I love you, but there's too many people at the Hall Road Costco. Now here's why I say this. So we're going at the store. And all I wanted was just a rotisserie chicken. Did I get a rotisserie chicken? I did not. I did not. But while we're walking through these aisles, I'm, I, I've never done this before. I'm just mumbling. Like, well, there's all these people here. The, the, why are the flowers here? Why are the, don't they see I'm coming with my cart? I've got to get the candy bars for the church thing. And there's no chickens. And I want the chicken. I get the chicken. And it's all over the place. And Amanda says, Stephen, why are you mumbling? Like, what are you doing? She said, that's not very loving. <laughs> you are so right. You are absolutely right. I said, Amanda, you're right. And I, even in my own heart, God, forgive me of that. That's not loving. Why am I mumbling to all the people under my breath at Costco? <laughs> That's not Christ exalting. God, help me to walk honorably among all. And this for us as a church, absolutely stand with honor and integrity among all that we encounter. Those secular situations of life where we're around people that don't know, believe, or follow, or trust in Jesus Christ, That's prime time to bear witness for Jesus. And we trust God for his grace to give us opportunities to live it and speak it. As Paul is just a prime example of this. So God, we need your grace in all of it. But here's what God's grace works in us. By God's sovereign grace, we're held by the Lord. We are empowered to help one another. 
We have hope in all circumstances. We're emboldened to speak with honesty, and we can walk honorably among all. What's our next step? How well are our lives matching what we believe? God, work your grace in us to be clear, powerful testimonies for Jesus Christ. And what's your next step to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together and worship team, you, you may come. Father in heaven, God, thank you so much for your saving grace. Your grace that saves us, your grace that forgives us, your grace that works in our lives every moment, whether we realize it or not. So God, as we just take your word to heart, press this truth into each of our lives, that you are sovereign and you are gracious and you're working all things for our good and your glory. God, thank you for the rescue that you've given us in Christ. And that's available to everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in you today. God, you are so good. Thank you for gathering us here to worship you. And Lord, use us as messengers of grace everywhere we go this week, through our lives, through our words, trusting you every day. God, we worship you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.